0: The master of umpire abuse to someone else's assistant as Hawks announce coaching handover.
1: Eagles go missing for so long they are declared extinct.
0: Carmichael's hunts ghost embodies Ben King as he kicks the winner versus the toothless Tigers.
1: And Melbourne beat Port and we just watched it. Will we have something interesting to say? Probably not. Hello and welcome back to AFL by Is My name is Alex Henry and joining me this week as he does every week It is the man who ran onto the field in the Richmond Gold Coast game and he also embodied his best friend who also did it. It's Tom Kreiser. (laughs)
0: Okay, Alex, how's it going? What a week of football.
1: I actually have a surprise for you, Tom. Yeah. Um, I haven't told you, but I went to the Richmond Gold Coast game. Well, the Gold Coast-Richmond game, as I should say, because it was Gold Coast's home fixture here in Melbourne. Yeah. And, um with uh, a friend of the show, Jacob, and we sat right next to the Gold Coast cheer squad, literally one row behind those two guys that ran onto the field. We spent the whole night watching them get drunker and drunker. They said (laughs) to us early in the, I think it was about the second quarter, they're like, we're going to go at the 10th minute mark of the fourth quarter. And everyone else around us was all like, no, we don't buy it. You know, it's not going to happen. It's not going to (laughs) happen. And then... One of them went and uh, threw up in the toilets during three-quarter time, came back in the last quarter, sculled a drink, and then his mate was like, oh, are we going to go? And he kind of looked at him for a second blankly and then went, yeah. And they went. <laughs> and it was, oh my God. it was one of the most brilliant and stupid things I've ever seen at the same time. Um, I can confirm, I saw his phone case. This is an exclusive for you. The man has a wife and family, so um, <laughs> it'll be it'll be interesting to see how he explains the ten thousand $10, dollar fine to them. Incredible! Incredible! <laughs> so good. All right, Tom. A point of observation from you to get us underway this week.
0: So uh, we'll go early with the you know post game chat. We're doing this at our usual time of just after another Port game. Yeah. And so my point of observation is that. I think Melbourne are uh, the real deal. And I think, you know, Melbourne are good. Like, I think people forgot that over the last three weeks. And I, I would put them in a top two with uh, with uh, the Western Bulldogs at the moment. Um, and I think the top four does reflect the seedings currently. Um, and that would be my point of observation. How did you feel about
1: t- tonight's game? Um, I think, I think people said there was more on the line for Port, but I disagreed. I think, I think we all kind of knew this is where Port were at. They tried to kind of insist to us that they were a top four team at times, but I think we all knew they're one of those bona fide fifth place sides, you know, where they're, they're comfortably better than the rest, but they mm. are, There's just just not quite good enough. They've got a few too many holes. Yeah. Summed up for me at the stroke of three quarter time when Miss Georgiadis coming out in the lead and uh, Charlie Dixon hit him and Late he had the opportunity out. to take the mark, go back and put them within I think it was fifteen or sixteen points three quarter time, give them real momentum to go into three quarter time and he dropped the ball. That's poor Adelaide. Yeah. They're just they're nearly there, not quite. Um,
0: yeah, they they're a very good fifth place team. I think in other yes. seasons they would be
1: higher than fifth. They'd Probably a third to or fourth place got. team. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a, quite a few high-quality sides this season. And for Melbourne, I think this was much more important for them and it was, it was a necessary win. They, they had to do this to to kind of reinvest the faith um, that has mm. come from the fans. Um, yeah. Because, you know, over the last six weeks before this game, they were 3-3 three and three and that's what ordinary teams do, you know. And you're allowed to have a bad patch, but they couldn't let it overwhelm them. They couldn't let it become their season as they slump down to third or fourth. And they have a tough run home from here, which who knows, Tom, one of us may get to later, but this was <laughs> a, this was a necessary win for them and they got the job done. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Alex, what was your point of observation for this
1: week? Um, okay. So there's been a lot of hype over the last few weeks over Jared Lyons, who I think has become a very good footballer and people finally starting to recognize that he is now probably one of the top 10 midfielders in the competition with how well he's playing. Um, and this week, over after Camilla's incredible performance against Richmond, people starting to acknowledge how ridiculous of a season he's had and how he probably is, um, with his defensive work rate, worthy of being in the All-Australian side on the bench, if not potentially starting in the side. So I thought I would give a little bit of love to some of the out-of-state folks um, that don't get the same attention as they probably deserve in the Melbourne media. Um, So just a couple. We've already covered Lyons and Miller from the two Queensland sides. From the two Sydney Mm -hmm. sides, Callum Mills has become a seriously good player, has had a ridiculous season, um, and probably is worthy of being in contention for that All-Australian squad, if not team. And he's not getting a lot of hype. I think he deserves to... um, Lockie Whitfield from the Giants has, if anybody has watched him in the last like month and a half since he's come back from his injury, he has been, I genuinely think, probably over the last six weeks, probably the second or third best player in the competition behind maybe only Bontempelli and maybe Petrarca. Uh, That's how well Lockie Whitfield's playing. His two-way running is ridiculous. He's just so much fitter than every other player (laughs) on the field. Like, he's a whole other level above And he's playing with the likes of Kelly, who is an incredibly fit player already, and several others. Um, Port Adelaide, one that I think had a strong game tonight, and he's gone to another level this season. Willem Drew gets no plaudits outside of Port Adelaide, who they're starting to recognise how good of a player he is. He's become a key cog in that Port Adelaide side. We give Port Adelaide a bit for not having the strongest midfield in the world, but their midfield is still better than... Almost every other team in the competitions apart from the top few. And one of the reasons for that is Willem Drew's had an excellent season as that strong, tough um, type. They get, they have an incredibly high clearance win percentage when he's in the middle. Um, quickly wrap it up. Ben for Adelaide. The man got delisted from Brisbane a couple of years ago. And now he's walked in. He's averaging high 20s disposals, good clearance numbers, good contested possessions numbers. And has really become Adelaide's, um, if not at a bare minimum, their third best midfielder behind uh, Sloan and Laird. I'd say, at least for this season, he's, he's playing better than Sloan. Sloan's been injured a bit and has, has definitely been their second best midfielder for this season. So, great season for him. Finally, wrap it up. The two uh, Perth boys I'm going to go with, Tom Baras, who is one of the best key defenders in the competition. And... I don't think he's ever really got a run in for the All-Australian squad mentions because McGovern always dominates over in Perth, but he's an exceptionally good 1v1 defender. And one I've always loved but never gets the press, Matt Tavener at Fremantle. I think most of the Melbourne teams would probably, or at least most of the successful teams, will be dominating as a key forward. He's such a strong mark, such an exceptionally good kick, but because he's out of the press, he probably doesn't get the level of praise he deserves. Anyway, point of observation, eight names that I think deserve more credit. Hopefully they can start to get some.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely uh, giving some love to those interstate uh, guns. So in our main story this week, Liverpool has sacked Jürgen Klopp in favour of me, Tom Kreiser. No, wait, that's not right. Um, The Americans have replaced Barack Obama with Donald Trump? No, Sorry. One. Um, wait, give me a sec. The Vatican is handed over from Michelangelo to my five-year-old cousin.
1: Actually, the Hawks have decided that at the end of the 2022 AFL season, Alistair Clarkson will step down from the role of Hawthorne coach with Sam Mitchell to set to take over.
0: Clarko has had a career full of highlights, including leading Hawthorne to four premierships and making the most hated team in the AFL. He created the famed Clarkos Cluster, which is a more successful due to its more appealing name, better than the likes of the Rat's Pack and Horse's
1: Mouth. But it hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows for Clarko, or Alistair, as Jeff Kennett calls him when he's angry. He was suspended from a junior competition after abusing a 19-year-old umpiring advisor. If only the government punished staffers that abused 19-year-olds. One can dream.
0: This occurred a day after Clarkson famously punched a hole in the wall. However, that hole in the wall is now a gourmet burger venue, so everybody wins out on that one.
1: His successor, Sam Mitchell, has been no stranger to controversy either. His famous jab, both literal and figurative, at Essendon players about the drug saga, failed to endear him to their fans. Later, a series of kneeing incidents saw him be cited by the AFL as well. Mitchell especially dangerous with his knees given his ability to hit targets with both his right and his left knee. So how likely is a succession plan to actually work? Well, when we look back at history, kind of likely. Malthouse to Bucks probably gets a high fail. Some will say a couple of grand finals is worth a toxic relationship, but those people clearly haven't met my ex-wife. Warsville to Rutten almost destroyed the club.
0: Ruse to Longmire gets a pass, and Ruse to Goodwin gets a pass. So the common thread here just might be Paul Ruse.
1: It does put Mitchell and Clarkson in a position where they're going to have to be on their best behaviour in front of a watching media industry. And if there's one thing we know about Clarkson and Mitchell, is that they love to be on their best behaviour. So, Alex, huge news this week
0: in uh, the coaching uh, field of the AFL. How do you feel about the succession plan? Are you, are you pro-succession or anti-succession? I feel like this is a, a political divide uh, greater than what we've ne- ever seen in the uh, AFL and uh, football in general.
1: Um, it's weird because I, I probably should have written it into the main story, but I'm starting to realise, you know what it reminds me of? It's kind of like an abdication in a way, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the king's speech. The <laughs> king's speech. Damn it. There was definitely potential for a joke somewhere in there. We missed out on one Tom. Um, I'm, I'm very much torn on this. I don't know where you're at, but I, I'm very torn. Part of me says that this is exactly how you're supposed to do it. You take a coach who's been incredibly successful for an extended period and you find somebody who's brilliant, youthful, going to bring a new energy to the side, um, when you have a situation where this old coach is maybe starting to feel a bit bogged down, isn't really at his best anymore. Um, And, you know, both sides are looking for a fresh experience. So part of me says, that's new, that's great. That's the best way to do it. And then the other half of me says, I hate that they did it under pressure. If, If they got to the end of next year, and I think this decision had come, I think I'd probably feel a lot more comfortable about it because it would have felt a lot more final. Like this was the end of the road. We're going to make make this decision for the best of both parties. What I really like just bothers me, and I know that they didn't have a choice in a way, that because Collingwood forced their hand, they're going to be put on under so much pressure. We've got a year and a half of just constant media jabs at them, just going out and chipping away at the relationship between them over and over and over again and on paper worse fault to rotten should have worked very cleanly and we're seeing now that it probably did work reasonably well but they just got smashed in the media week after week and i'm not sure that putting your putting your new coach in a position like this and your retiring coach in a position like this is beneficial so tom I'm standing very much on the fence, not sure in which direction to jump. That's where I'm at. What about you?
0: Yeah, I don't think. I think I watch too much uh, non-Australian sport because I'm clearly anti getting rid of a champion. I just think this would be the only sport in the world that a club would say, nah, the greatest successful coach of the modern era,
1: bye." Um, it's, it's, can, can I look? I, I understand what you're saying. I think we're a bit harsh in Australia, but can I rebut that? With um, we talked about Jurgen Klopp in the main story. For any Premier League fans out there, Leicester City, one of the smaller clubs in the country, won a title under um, manager mm, Claudio Ranieri, yeah. and they sacked him. Um, what was it? Eighteen months. Season later? and a half later. Yeah. Eighteen months. Eighteen months later. They didn't yeah. push. They didn't like ask him to leave politely or create a transition period. No, they sacked him and it's it's worked out really well for them. Their new manager has been incredibly successful and has turned what looked like might be a brief period of glory before they returned back to the bottom into a sustained period of excellence.
0: Yeah, yeah, but they fired him because uh, he was uh, failing as a coach. Clark was certainly not failing as a
1: coach. That was the other thing. That's a really Is interesting that- argument to get into, isn't it? Because the rebuild hasn't come anywhere near fast enough. It's taken him like at least a couple of years behind. I would so, argue that's a failing as a coach, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah. So that's the only thing is that he off-field, his uh, decisions in the list management has been unsuccessful. But the, his ability to, to turn the list that he has into the performances on the pitch he's a pass like yes, that. Yes. I don't think anyone could have done what he's done given the list that he's had. Um, and so that's, that's the other thing is that um, he is such a good game day coach and such a, such a champion of the game that uh, I just see it come back to bite them in, in a couple years or two. But um it had to be done because if they wanted Sam Mitchell, this is the only way to get him. So yeah. I do understand that, but I don't know, getting rid of a champion like that, it just doesn't, It. It. I can envision something bad happening to them. Um, and that's probably because I assume Clarko will continue coaching at another club after his contract ends next year or even before.
1: Yeah, he might take a year out or something. Um, but I, I don't think this is the last wheel I've seen of Alex the Clarkson coaching. in Definitely actor. not. I'm, I'm yeah. going to force you to make a call, Tom, which is very hypocritical of me because of how much time I spent on the fence in that in that analysis. If it was you, if you were Jeff Kennett and the board, would you have made this decision or would you have said, Sam, you can leave if you're really desperate to. We're not going to fire a coach like this.
0: Uh, I don't know the honest I didn't put in the effort into you know grooming um, Sam Mitchell into being you know the next Hawthorne coach yeah right so I don't understand but to me I would say I would pay Clarko for as long as he wants to be there because he is the best coach right yeah and that's my view of it and I think I would keep him until he doesn't want to be there. The issue would be the issue has always been that because the rebuild was delayed, then it's it's probably what another three three four seasons before they're competing again. Um, by then he'll be over t- in his twenty third season or twenty second or twenty third season, which seems like an incredibly long time. Mm. But if he's still putting in the results and still still you know performing at the level in which he is. Um, This is, we don't know the the relationship of the players, but assuming he also has the relationship of the players, I think you keep him for as long as you want. Um, But again, I didn't put in the time with uh, Sammy Mitchell.
1: Very interesting. Very interesting from you there, Tom. All right. We'll get straight into our first battle round. Ding, ding, ding. All right. I know I'm going to kick us off this week. I'm very excited with what I've got, Tom. So, This week, we had Sean Burgoyne's 400th game. What an incredible occasion it was. Now, Sean Burgoyne has his famous nickname, Tom. Silk. Silk, the man of silk. And I love nicknames. I love... My favourite nicknames are the ones that are just like, just a little bit further away than Silk, you know? So somebody who's called like Cement Head or something, you know, or something (laughs) random. So I thought, you know, I'd give maybe some of the the best players in competition, some of the ones that are attracting all the headlines at the moment, um, I thought I'd give them new nicknames, and I thought we'd play a game of six degrees of separation to see if you can work out how I got to their nicknames. Okay, let's do this. So in each of these six degrees of separation, for those that haven't played the game before, so the first one, is Marcus Bontempelli, right? That is the first degree. The sixth degree is his nickname, which I've given him, which is Baba. Baba, B-A-A space B-A-A, right? Now, on all of these ones, the second degree of separation is their actual nickname, right? So for Bontempelli, it's Bond, right?
0: Bont.
1: You've got to work out You've gotta work okay. out how I got from bot with three more links to barber. Have a crack at it. And when you <laughs> fail miserably, I'll tell you how I actually did it.
0: Uh, bond into bounty into coconut mi- coconut into coconut milk. Into sh- uh, sheep's milk into bar
1: black sheep into barba. Um Look, that's not as far away as you would think. Here's, here's how I did it. Not a bad effort from you, Tom. I went, bond, sounds like want. What do I want right now? A Savlaki. What do Savlakis have in them? Lamb. What do lambs oh my- go? bar barba. <laughs> that's how we get from bond wow. to belly <laughs> to
0: Okay, I'll keep right, that in mind. All right, did you enjoy the first one? <laughs> I'll keep it in mind. My-
1: this is good. <laughs> for the record, I don't expect you to get any of these. I just think this is fun watching you try. <laughs> okay. All right, the next one, the three-time Norm Smith medalist, Dustin Martin. You already know what his nickname is, but mm-hmm. my new nickname for him is Hanukkah. How do you get from Dustin Martin to Hanukkah? Go, Tom. So, Dusty, Springfield...
0: Simpsons yellow oil
1: Hanukkah. Interesting, not a bad effort. Completely different route from mine. Completely different route, but not bad, <laughs> eh? Good effort. No, I went dusty. That which reminds me of a dustbin, which our, our dust bin day bin. is Tuesday. Which to me just <laughs> sounds like Tuesday. So I I got to Hanukkah that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, i'm
0: going to i'm going to referential i need to go more literal to
1: your life <laughs> the, the whole point of this is that it's not supposed to be wow that is the most accurate definitely should have gone with that link it's supposed to be what literally came into my head when i did
0: <laughs> All right, let's go next
1: one <laughs> all right he kicked three and had 33 tonight tom christian Petraka. what's his nickname tracks tracks you're correct all right you gotta to get to his new nickname which is toy boy toy boy toy boy tracks train
0: Thomas the tank engine or tonka Thomas the tank engine tray at uh, toy toy boy
1: Tom you're a genius I can't believe <laughs> it you did it. I don't think like that one was the easiest that is,
0: but I'm taking that as a win
1: that is literally exactly it that is what I have <laughs> written down <laughs> incredible you are a genius we think alike don't try and tell <laughs> us that is brilliant you are a master Christian Petraka, Trax is his nickname Trax, what goes on Trax a Train, who's the most famous train Tom's the Tank Engine Tom's the Tank Engine is a toy he's a toy boy hello oh boy brilliant well done to you tom i'm very proud thank you thank all you all right we've got two to go i don't i don't think they'll be as easy maybe as these ones but we'll see we'll see how you go all right you ready for the next one here's here's a favorite yeah um he's been amazing this season he's the saints captain and best player jack Steele. Mm-hmm. now right um i'll go with his nickname which I call him by, I'm not sure maybe everyone calls him by, but he goes by the Man of Steel. Okay. Um, and and you've got to get to his new nickname, which maybe isn't quite as flattering as the Man of Steel. One pump. All right, Man of Steel, Superman.
0: And then it's surely... Uh, soldier boy then uh, no but then you're going back to to okay so yeah superman soldier boy uh,
1: Kendrick Lamar, one pump. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> does Does Kendrick Lamar have a song called One Pump or something that I'm missing?
0: No, he's got lyrics about one pump, but okay. I don't think it's that. I don't. No, think it it is that. not
1: that. Believe it or not, after the incident that we had earlier in the season of me not getting your reference, I did not go down the Soldier Boy and Kendrick Lamar route. No, I
0: wouldn't have thought so.
1: You were right initially. We had Jack Steele, the Man of Steel, Superman, but I yeah, thought yeah. Tom. What is Superman? Nothing but a man made out of soup. What soup? Pumpkin soup. One pump. <laughs> That's grass <laughs> on so many levels.
0: <laughs> uh, I want a comic book where it's Superman, but it's just a bowl of soup. <laughs> but it's got all the superpowers. No, no, no. It's, it's not
1: it's not just a bowl of soup, like it's a man, but it's like instead of it being a person, it's like a see-through surface and through the surface you just see soup sloshing around inside of him yeah Marvel but it's like there's like Silver Surfer and he like talks and has powers (laughs) and everything
0: Marvel DC call us up
1: (laughs) I got ideas folks I got ideas (laughs) alright alright the last one Lance Franklin himself who goes by the nickname Tom Buddy 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 of course now except I've given him a new nickname one that I'm not sure is entirely accurate. Not sure is entirely accurate. Virgin. All right. Can okay. you get from Lance Franklin to Virgin Tom? What do you got?
0: So buddy Airbud. Uh Airbud is flying, flying plane, plane, virgin.
1: That's not a bad route to be honest. I think I think that's a pretty bad chat. It is not my route though. I went with Buddy, Buddy Holly. Um, and then Holly Christmas. Christmas Mary. Virgin Mary. Nice. Virgin Buddy though in this in this case.
0: That one's good. do not mind that one. I,
1: I did think that I did think no, I'm not gonna say that. That would be too harsh. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Tom, what have you got?
0: All right, I just wanted to touch on a bit about Geelong, and it does come come off my point of observation as to why I think uh, the ladder dictates the the seedings for the Premiership this year um and it does come back to Geelong who's despite having you know the incredible attack with Hawkins, Cameron who's out but has been playing incredibly well up until last week, so, and Gary Rowan, who is now looking like a Uh, all-star number three forward um however um last week despite Jeremy Cameron's injury the the Cats kicked 15 of the last 19 goals but they only scored one goal to four in the first quarter and it's a pattern um, if you can, if, uh, if you know, then it was the 10th occasion in their first 15 games this season where they failed to surpass even just a couple of first quarter goals. Um, and it's also the third week in a row, row where they haven't kicked uh, more than one. So for three weeks in a row, they've kicked one goal or less in the first quarter. Um, now they're lucky, you know, their ladder position is pretty high, but, Um, Again, in that because the the top five is so condensed, um, the difference between first and fifth is uh, in talent-wise isn't really uh, that apparent as it is in other seasons. So um, their first quarter, you know, sleep-ins, as the article says, um, could uh, get them in trouble later on, particularly – as we close towards September. Now, if you look across the season as first quarters in general, the cats have uh, six, nine and one um, in first quarters with that one, yeah. one draw being against the Bulldogs, um, which translates to a 43.3% first quarter win, win rate. Now, uh, why would you bring up win rate in first quarters? Well, Since nineteen ninety, there's only been one club who posted a sub fifty percent first quarter win rate, yet were able to win the premiership, and ironically, it happened to be Chris Scott's two thousand and (laughs) eleven Geelong side. They're the one of the last thirty one premiers to do it, Um, and I think that this tells us in a in a you know serendipitous way um, that. The 2011 Cats probably resemble the, the, the 2021 Cats are the, the best. Now, I, the teams around the 2011 Cats obviously not as good as the teams surrounding these Cats. But um, we can see that uh, the 2011 Premiership's winning side was the league's fourth oldest and fifth most experienced. And on grand final day, it sent out 12 players with 150 games to their name which is very, very similar um, to the Geelong of old. In fact, they've gone older. Um, they've played the older side in history of the comp- in, of history of the competition um, uh, since those stats are being recorded. I think something like 10, was it 10 or 12 30-year-old players? Um, and again, on Friday night when they played Essendon, they had 12 players above 150 games played. Now, um, the 2021 Cats, um, as I said, nine and six, um, but they, uh, uh, they have turned that around in last quarters where eight of their 11 last quarters they have won. So they clearly barnstorm home and that's, the te- and that's the team. Now, for me, that doesn't smell, you know, preliminary final winning or grand final winning, um, you normally don't get, you normally don't see a barnstorming home. I understand Richmond have done it uh, last year against Geelong, um, but that started a little bit earlier than the last quarter. Um, so I just wanted to see your thoughts as to whether uh, this, uh, this particular statistic has uh, changed your view of Geelong. Um, and whether they need to correct it before final start.
1: I I think it's complicated. It's an interesting stat and it also speaks a lot to Melbourne, who are also very much a start out the gates a bit mm. slow and then storm home, which is why the, their loss on the weekend to the Giants was so su- surprising because they were kind of in and around the game for three quarters and... You just expected them to find a gear and storm home, and they didn't. Um, yeah. The Giants just overran them through hard running. Um, I think it's both a positive and a negative. And I think internally, you would be framing the positive, but acknowledging the negative is something to work on. So for me, the positive is that if you're a side that starts badly and ends well, like both of these sides, it means you've got other gears to go to. It means you've got enough talent, enough experience that when things start to go badly, you know how to turn it around. Yeah, That's a great positive. That's something you absolutely want to have on your side come the end of the season. It also says that you're a very fit side, that you're good at finishing our games well. That's really important. I'd probably rather be that than a side like the Western Bulldogs, which tends to start very strong um, and then fade out. Although that has its own advantages because if you are a side that, like, for instance, Melbourne or Geelong playing against the Western Bulldogs, sometimes you get jumped and sometimes you get four or five goals down at quarter time. And even though maybe you outscore the opposition by a goal for the rest of the, the match from then on, it's just you can't claw back that that extra amount um, because of the other team. Yeah. Um, so each... It has its positives and negatives. I, If I was Geelong and Melbourne internally, I would be framing it as, well, look at the positives here. We're, we're a fit side. We're finishing strong. We've got another experience to go to. We've got another level to go to. We've got experience. All we need to do is make sure that we're ready to go at the start um, and we're going to be a team that's good enough to win a premiership. That's how I'd be phrasing it.
0: Yeah, yeah. The... They are the probably the two fittest teams in the competition, particularly Melbourne is definitely the fittest team in the competition. Um, mm.
1: And the Bulldogs are very fit in their own way.
0: yeah, there's a the different different style um, mm. but at least they know I guess that they can uh, you know an eighteen point lead doesn't seem like a lot to them if they know that they can no. you know come home strong in the second half or last quarter. Um, but yeah, the, I just saw that yeah you know, today or the other day, um, and it really yeah it it, it just uh, pricked my ear and I wanted to to see your thoughts. So that's Geelong. Um, maybe we'll see a change. I would love to see how it's sh- how their forward line functions without Jeremy Cameron for the rest of the home and away season, um, because it might make a big impact on when they finish in finals. Um, but I think if they work on just getting a strong first quarter, I think the absence of Jezza uh,
1: might not be as strong. Absolutely. Very nice from you, Tom. In other off-field news, Steve, well, we'll see if this works. Hawking has left his role as the AFL football operations boss to be the CEO of Chelong. Now, while the headline, white man with cushy inner-city job moves back to his hometown and starts another cushy job, is hardly newsworthy, at AFL by dummies, headquarters. We have scooped a real treat for you today. We have got a recording of Hocking's resignation to head of the Knights of the Oval Table, Gil- wrong leather! McLaughlin.
0: Uh, hi Gil. Oh, um, hi Lord Gillian.
1: Hmm, yes Steve, what is it?
0: Well, it seems that the, um... Position of CEO at Geelong, uh, my hometown, has uh, opened up.
1: Ah, uh, yes, Geelong, the insignificant speck just outside of Melbourne. Give Lord Christopher my regards. His brother is doing an adequate job in the Victorian sector.
0: Uh, I, I, will, sir. Um, it's just that, you know, I'm, go- I'm going to be the CEO of Geelong. Um, I've, I've come here to, to give you my resignation.
1: Ah. Uh. You're resigning from your assignment? Uh, y- yes, sir. Well, I guess you've made your decision then.
0: Uh, yes, sir, but I haven't forgotten what you've given me. Remember when I uh, changed the rules to make the game more appealing uh, so we could sell more tickets and pretend we're doing enough for fans? Uh, um. Remember when uh, when I uh, ran the MRA and pretended that concussion didn't exist and then only under the threat of legal pressure did I pretend to care about the same concern I ignored for all those years? uh, And and remember when I uh, helped you create a a women's competition but starved their resources so now the players have to choose between their sport and their, their career? And there are no female AFLW coaches anymore? Um, uh, remember when- (gasps) Uh, uh, uh,
1: I find uh, your lack of faith in the Knights of the Oval Table concerning, Hocking.
0: Enough! Release
1: him! As you wish. Wow, what brilliant journalism from you there, Tom, to get that just amazing, amazing audio there. I mean, that's very, very uh, revealing.
0: Yeah, yeah. It it, it tells us a lot about the relationship between uh, Hocking and Gil. Um, And I think that, uh, yeah, well, uh, I would love to see them, you know, at Gil's Gil's lunches, assuming they happen next year, um, because he'll be the CEO of Geelong, so they um come over ah, it might be a bit awkward but you you, you don't know uh, you know the threat of fear is a strong one so it might it, it might sway the sway the table a little bit
1: yeah I think those I think those lunches with Gil are an interesting place if you're a CEO <laughs> um, all right Tom let's get into our second battle round ding And it's time for the run home to return, Tom. I already did the race for the top eight, but now it's time for the race for the top four slash race for the top two because I'm doing both in one because they're the same teams. Anyway, (laughs) let's start off with a relic from the last run home, Sydney, who had a massive win over West Coast on the weekend. So I'm going to briefly touch on them um, just so I can effectively rule them out. But let's do it properly. Um, Sydney currently 9-6 on 36 points, percentage of 114.5. Their next seven games, they've got a couple interesting ones, but mostly it's a bit of a breeze home and they should, should get home fairly easily. The Bulldogs away this week is a massive fixture for them, as well as the Battle of the Bridge against the Giants the week after. After that, it's a bit of a cruise home. Uh, Essendon away is the most difficult game they've got after that, so it's pretty easy. I would expect that the... Sydney at a bare minimum to go at five and two, maybe even six and one, but um, I'll probably give them a bit of a leeway and say five and two would keep them safely out of the race um, for the eight and then also probably not good enough to be in contention for the four. So that would put them in 14 and eight, 56 points and almost certainly sixth. Right, to Port Adelaide now, who in terms of the race for the top four, suffered... Uh, a significant loss, but not a devastating one, as I'm going to get into. Um, if they were going to make the cut, it probably needed to happen. But with their run home, they still only need one more upset to really bring them home. So they're currently 11-5 after tonight's lost 44 points with a new percentage of just under 120. Now, here's the big advantage for them. They haven't really got any difficult fixtures to come home apart from one. The Giants away is a slight difficulty in their trip, but for a team of their calibre, you would definitely expect them to win that. Yeah. Um, the, the showdown against Adelaide will be a significant job, but they will enter into that heavy favourites. But to finish the season is a trip to Melbourne to play the Western Bulldogs. Now, with six games to go, that game against the Western Bulldogs is the only one they're not going to enter into favourites. And realistically, I expect them to get finish five and one from those games. If they got the win against the Western Bulldogs, it would quite firmly put them back into calculations for the top four, but it's going to require that win. So look out for that game Mm. in the race for the top four. That will be an incredibly decisive one. But in the meantime, Port Adelaide's just going to do what they do well, steamroll the bad teams that should get them to 16 and six are going into the last round. It'll be 16 and five on 64 points. They win that game. They're in run for the top four. If not, that'll see them finishing in fifth. Now the team I have likely to finish fourth, this will be open to the debate, but I think it'll be Geelong. They currently sit 11 and 44 points with Brisbane as well, um, with a percentage of 123.4, just behind Brisbane's percentage. Um, Their fixtures in the run home, they've got Melbourne in the last round at home, so that'll be a pretty good fixture for them. And Richmond at home, though I believe that home game is at the MCG. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Apart from that, it's a bit bit of a breeze for them as well. The likes of Carlton. A trip to Fremantle will be a slight challenge, but you'd expect them to win that. North Melbourne, the Giants and St Kilda should all be easy. Richmond and Melbourne will be the main ones for them. I would think at the worst, really they should be looking to only drop one of those two games and really one of their last seven. There's no reason they shouldn't go six and one. Yeah. If they play well against Melbourne, they very easily could go seven and zip. Now for me seven and zip will lock top four. Yeah. It might still it might still not be enough for top two. And we'll get into why with Melbourne's win tonight. But it'd definitely put them into contention. That would leave them finishing if they lost to Melbourne with a six and one record over the last seven games. 17 wins, five losses, 68 points. That's a number to keep in mind. That would be one ahead of Port on 64 points if Port were to lose to the Western Bulldogs and win the rest of their games. All right. For me, the team likely to finish in third, and this has changed since the game tonight. I actually had Melbourne in third, but now it's Brisbane statistically for me that I reckon is going to finish in third. 11 and four, 44 points as I said, massive percentage. This will be an important factor when it comes down to Melbourne and Geelong later in the season, just under 135. Their run home, easy. That's another important factor for them here. I think Richmond will be looking, Richmond, I think Brisbane will be looking at this fixture and going, there is no reason we shouldn't go seven and zip. I'm gonna give them a little bit of leeway and say six of one because they're three most difficult fixtures here I think it's probably likely they probably drop one of these in a momentary blip, but Richmond away in Melbourne, Mm. Fremantle away in Perth, Mm. and hosting West Coast. Those those are their three most difficult fixtures. I think probably you in the run home, you just maybe have one blip, you drop one of those games. That would take them six and one to finish on 17 and five, 68 points, and that would put them in third spot. In saying that, from their expectations of what those cap- they're capable of, they will enter in favourites in every single one of those games. Yeah. There's no reason why they shouldn't win all of them. I'm just giving them a little bit of leeway in saying that. They won't want that leeway because Melbourne is four points ahead of them in my prediction, and that might make all the difference. After tonight's win, they sit 13-3, 52 points, with a percentage of just under 130 Now, the reason why Melbourne is the most interesting one in all of this is because their best is just about better than everyone else's. So realistically, if they play well, they can win all of their games and it wouldn't be that surprising. But they have the hardest fixture of anyone by a mile. They just knocked off Port Adelaide, but still to come, they have the Western Bulldogs at the MCG and then Geelong at GMHBA, which is going to be a real challenge. That's aside from a trip to Perth to play West Coast which you know if you get West Coast on their day in Perth is a hell of a challenge. Not that it's been like that lately, though. Yeah. They've got a couple of easy games in and around that. Hawthorne, Gold Coast, Adelaide. They should get wins in all of those. Yeah. But I'm going to be generous because of how good of a side they think they are. I, I think they are. And say they go 5-1 from here and out. I had them before tonight being 5-2. and two. And I've decided that that win is enough to take them over that edge into five and one, um, which is probably, you know, it's unnecessary. And if I, I'm still having doubts about this, even as I'm putting forward my predictions of pegging the ground, what I think is going to happen. Um, but if they do go five and one, so that's one slip up between the West Coast, Western Bulldogs and Geelong games and winning the other three that would put them four points clear at Brisbane. And that's the key di- difference because in all likelihood, their percentage is probably not going to be enough to jump above Brisbane. Mm-hmm. So they're needing Brisbane to drop a game and they're needing to keep themselves to only one loss from those three games to finish four points clear. Yeah. That's the route home for Melbourne. That's what the fans should be looking for. Finally, the Bulldogs. Now, Obviously, we know they play Melbourne. That's going to be a hell of a fixture. They're currently 12-3, and 3, so a win behind Melbourne on 48 points. But with their fixtures in the run home, they should feel pretty good. A percentage of 147.6 is oh, over 12, just under 12, uh, sorry, I'm just, just under 13 above the next best team. Yeah. So if push comes to shove, that's going to make a massive difference for them. Now, a home game against Sydney this week, they will enter in favourites, and for good reason. You would expect them to win that game, but that by no means will be easy. Um, A trip across the road to Melbourne to uh, to the MCG to play Melbourne will be the big challenge for them. That'll be the one in which they're likely to potentially drop a game. And then in the final round of the season, as we said earlier, they host Port Adelaide in what will be a late push for Port Adelaide in a massive game for them. But for the Western Bulldogs depending on where things are at with wins and percentage might not actually make much of a difference. They might be safe in first anyway, or at least probably safe in the top two, depending on they get results against a couple of the rough teams they play against. Gold Coast, Adelaide, Essendon, and Hawthorne, no serious worries there. Now, based on that, you probably give them the benefit of the doubt to if they lost to Melbourne, they should be good enough to beat Sydney or Port Adelaide. Or if they beat Melbourne, then you'd give them enough to say they dropped one of those games. 6-1 and one seems pretty safe for them. That would take them to 18-4, 72 points. So the same points as Melbourne but head on percentage Yeah, should be enough for top spot. That's where I'm thinking in saying that. In particular for me, Melbourne and Brisbane are they going to be the two positions come the end of the season where I just it's going to come down to form. It's going to come down to those decisive games. Melbourne playing the Western Bulldogs and Geelong and West Coast. Brisbane seeing if they can go through unbeaten. If they go through unbeaten, Melbourne's going to need to go through unbeaten to stay ahead of them. And that's going to be a hell of a challenge.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, and the other thing was that I, I don't think Bevo is the type of coach to like rest half his team, you know, for that, no. for that Port game. So that doesn't help Port um, or Melbourne. No, I,
1: I don't think so either. So...
0: You know, he'll they'll be fighting every every tooth and nail, which will make that that last round all the more important. I don't think there's been a season like this where the top four is so up for grabs. Um, yeah, uh, or the top five really is up for grabs, um, which I'm thoroughly enjoying, um, and they're all really really good quality. So, cannot wait an excellent analysis from you, Alex.
1: Yeah, I think in particular. Um... Uh, so I was I was talking to Jacob at the Richmond West uh, Gold Coast game. We were talking about, because um, he's a Bulldogs fan, the position from which teams win premierships. Mm. It's been documented a few times this year <laughs> that of the last 20 seasons. Yeah, first. Only five times has the team that finished uh, first won the premiership. Yeah. Um, that doesn't sound that good, you know, only one in four times. But when you compare it to the rest of the numbers, well, Western Bulldogs won from seventh, the only, and yeah, that's the only other position apart from the top three. The other fourteen results have come from second and third, and I think it's either seven and seven or six and eight. So it's not like first is a considerably worse position to be in. What the takeaway actually from it is is that fourth, as from fourth or below, is almost never. You would be the statistical anomaly to do it from there. Yeah. But the most important part, really, is finishing in the top three. The top three. And in particular, if you can get to the top two, you're at least a 50-50 chance of winning it statistically. Yeah. Um, so that home prelim final is going to be a massive advantage, in particular for Melbourne and Brisbane. If Brisbane is the team in all of this because the Bulldogs, Melbourne and Geelong, you would think it's highly likely they're all going to be playing their finals from the MCG, so it doesn't make too much of a difference for them. But Brisbane, well, if Brisbane get a home final, somebody's going to have to travel to there. Or if they get an away final, they're going to have to play somewhere they don't like. Um, The one thing I would like to caveat all of this with, the entire piece of analysis with, is that we've seen that at a moment's notice, teams can be thrown out of position due to COVID and be playing their games in different locations. And that should be kept in mind. The other reason why I think that Sydney is... Even if they just about went perfect, they're they're done to make the top four. Is I think it's highly unlikely they're not going to be playing any home games there for another at least probably two to three weeks. Ah, oh, um, minimum. And
0: if the, and there'll be there, won't be crowds for the you know another two weeks on top of that at least.
1: Yeah. So all it takes is a little bit of a spark in Brisbane, and suddenly they're trapped in Melbourne for an extended period. The game against St Kilda on the weekend will be in the Gold Coast. We'll get to that. So it, they're still not back to Brisbane, and St Kilda's been playing pretty well lately. You you would be much, I'm sure Brisbane would be much more comfortable playing them at home than they will at a ground, they're not familiar with, um, almost a neutral venue. Yeah. So if Melbourne went into lockdown or something, and all of the teams got booted up to, up to there, and Brisbane got an opportunity to play another final series where they're the only team playing at home would be massive. So just a giant caveat on that is uh, the COVID situation, of course, which we have to kind of say at any time, but in particular with this run home and how on a knife's edge, everything is at the moment with cases popping up here and there all the time. um, I feel like the competition and each of the teams is that, what's the phrase? Like um, almost ready to explode like any team could be forced to move at a moment's notice and they just have to pack up and deal with it.
0: Yeah. Great analysis. All right, Tom. All right. So uh, the demons had their lowest score on the weekend, um, just gone. And their response other than a fantastic win was one change. Um, they brought in big Ben. So that got me thinking, um, If every cultural icon and great wonder of the world was a football player, who would they be? So welcome to the newest BuzzFeed listicle. Ever wondered (laughs) what wonders of the world would kick bags and which would be a Great Wall? Well, now you don't have to. (laughs) So let's knock off that easy one first. Um, The Great Wall of China is is strong for its time, but ageing, clearly a defender but has the mind of the forward, probably from its, you know, younger days. Mm. I'm thinking uh, a Brian Lake type. But, oh, really? But these days, he likes his time inside four walls rather than uh, being one. So probably <laughs> think uh, Maddie Scarlet. I mean, an absolute monster defensively, but now only old white tourists see them as a marvel that he once
1: was that's an absolute vibe i was i was thinking more of the jeremy mcgovern where it's 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 so defensive it's almost aggressive the great <laughs> it's like it's once it's in your face you're like jesus get out of my face it's so imposing you can see it from space <laughs> all right one to number
0: two i think this one is also pretty simple um uh the, the Pyramids of Giza, you know, tall, powerful, testament of a power of humankind, hard as a rock, literally. Um, I think this has to be Bucks, you know, leaders of leaders, creative industry. I think it matches matches it perfectly. I mean, his personality is pretty tough as a rock, so I think that would match very well. Um, do you have any, idea, any other ideas of the Pyramids of Giza, Alex? Yeah.
1: Um... I was thinking, um, no, to be honest, <laughs> I had a few half ideas, but none of them as solid as that. I reckon yeah, that's a pretty good it's one. It's a
0: pretty, it's a pretty, uh, you know, le- leader, like tall leader, leadership quality
1: type. The only, the only other one I'd throw out there would be, um, the, the, Pyramids of Giza are the oldest of all of the wonders, no. So somebody that's been around a bit of a while, the man of silk himself, he's not exactly, um, Hard in that sense, silk. silk no, but pretty
0: soft. Yes, he's the one that's longest lasting. That is true. Yeah. It's the only original wonder still standing. So that is definitely Burgoyne fits the bill there. All right, wonder number three, Christ the Redeemer. Now, I think this is uh, very easy. Um, again, an admiration for a true giant in our society. This can only be the one Gary Abler Jr., yeah. Um, Son of God meets Son of God. I'm sure those two will have a lot to talk about. I mean, you both like the works of Izzy Falau.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the most important factor in all of this is that uh, Gary's a Gary's a bit of a fan of Christ everyday. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan. Just a tiny bit of a fan. Um,
0: icon number four now. It is the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, so one of the old wonders of the world. Um, Classy, elegant, a touch of beauty about them, but utterly destroyed with only memories left um, on ancient scrolls remain. I mean, if this isn't Jack Watts, I don't know (laughs) what is. His reputation was godly, but all that remains is a memory of a bygone era and some mysterious white white powder in Germany. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and I think the biggest takeaway is that um, nobody's sure whether or not it actually existed in the first place, or whether or not it was just it was just talked up into being something better than it actually was. Yeah.
0: All right. Wonder number five to close it out: the Colosseum. Now I haven't been mm. to the Colosseum, but I there have. is clearly an aura of spectacle um, that has been written about for centuries. So who has the pageantry that matches, you know, the gladiatorial fights in those arenas and the movies that have been made about them? Alan Didac, I think. Pump and show and a little bit of cheek. You know, he probably has more wine than most of the Italian emperors that ever, you know, went to the place. Um, Thankfully, though, there were no cars in Italy at the time.
1: (laughs) I think um, if there was anybody going to rival Alan Didac as one of the gladiators in the Coliseum. It would be none other than one of my favorite players, Eddie Betts, because if there's anybody that could pull off turning to the crowd and saying, are you not entertained? (laughs) It is Eddie Betts.
0: Very well done. Very well done. So there we go. My five uh, wonders of the world as football players. Um, Yeah, I'm sure there's a few more, but.
1: uh, Oh yeah. Let us know.
0: But, yeah, yeah, just uh, tell us.
1: What are your ideas? Uh, what
0: are your ideas? Um, maybe we'll take it. I, f- I feel like a, a, yeah, a TV show could come from one of these, you know. Oh, yeah. Move the documentary off-site. Uh, and then you know, Eddie Betts as the Gladiator replacing Russell Crowe. Oh, That would be a great – I would go to watch that. I would pay to watch
1: that. I, I, yeah, I would, I would definitely go to watch that. Very good from you, Tom. I love the concept this week. Very strong, very strong. Um, what are your thoughts on the winner this week?
0: Uh, I think I've got to give it to you for the run home just because of that analysis. So I think... you I, reckon, think,
1: I, I, I think it was pretty close this week. I, I'd be happy. We haven't had a draw in a while. All right. I think it was we'll a take, pretty similar standard this week.
0: All right. We'll take the tie. I think you're still ahead then by half.
1: Half a point. Yeah. yeah. That's where we left off. It's been a big win for you in tipping, though, Tom, because I had a a four-tip lead at the beginning of last week. I managed to lose three of those tips over the course of the weekend, and (laughs) And earlier tonight I managed to lose the last one. (laughs) So so as it stands now, we are tied again (laughs) Again. with eight games to go this week. Incredible. Um, so yeah, just to just to start out our tipping, we had Melbourne, Port Adelaide tonight, which we've kind of touched on. Tom, before the game, I asked him who he was tipping, and he said Melbourne, Damn and I, I decided to be my usual contrarian self, which has not worked for me at all over the last few weeks, instead <laughs> of tipping the teams, which are, I think are actually going to win, I've just been tipping the teams that you haven't tipped, and um, well, it hurt me again, Port Adelaide lost, and you're back to tide. So we're going to have another – I think most of the tipping has been pretty one-sided this week. There's only probably one game that we might disagree on, but we'll see how we go. Let's start with tomorrow night, Essendon Adelaide at Marvel Stadium. How do you feel about this one, Tom?
0: Uh, Essendon have played very well over the last month, but they've just been unlucky in playing some quality opposition. Um, I mm. think they should definitely uh, get a big win over Adelaide. Um, No Tex Walker this week either. So, yeah, definitely the Bombers uh, in a return to the win column for them.
1: Yeah, so what I'm going to try and do this week with no obvious upsets, we got one 50-50 with the Hawthorne-Fremantle game, which we have get to. I'm going to try and pick an upset in the vein of Gold Coast, Richmond and Melbourne GWS. One completely from left field that no one sees coming. And I'm thinking that it's not going to be this one. I'm going to tip Essendon. I think think they're too good. I think they'll keep their finals run alive. They've got a. People are starting to rule them out, but they've got a very easy run home, and they should just about win almost every game from here, if not only maybe one or two short. Um, This will be a big one to start that run. They're going to need to get the wins in against these not so good teams. Now the 50-50 down at Perth down at Perth, down at Perth. What am I on about? Down at Tasmania, Hawthorne versus Fremantle at the University of Tasmania Stadium, which is Launceston. I believe I can never tell the difference between Tasmania in the bush and Tasmania in the city. Tasmania's idea of city is a building. <laughs> I'm, just not, I'm just not convinced, Tassie. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, back to the footy man. Tom, who do you think is going to win?
0: Frio uh, have to win this if they want to keep their finals alive. So I'm tipping Frio in a do-or-die clash. Um, and, yeah, I don't know if uh, Hawthorne have the legs at this end of the season just for, you know, a game of uh, just spite, like there's no real effort uh, required for them. So surely, Freyo gets over the in this one.
1: Well, Tom, you know what you're underestimating? Not only Hawthorne's record in Tasmania, which is very, very strong that we yeah. know, but you're also underestimating the power of emotion, Tom. What do we know about emotion? Bucks last game, Collingwood defeat Melbourne. Well, with everything that's happened to Alistair, champion of the sides, and for guys like Luke Bruce and Liam Shields, a guy that led them to four premierships, they got to get up in this one. Just This is one of those games where Luke Bruce kicks four or five goals and everybody goes, Jesus, wasn't he amazing for like a <laughs> Yeah. All right, um, all right. Hawthorne for me. That's that, That'll be the one that probably loses me the the, the advantage this week, but we'll try. Um, Carlton are hosting Geelong, back of two wins in a row from the Blues, and they're starting to look a little better, and maybe David Teague will keep his job, which is a positive for Carlton, or maybe a negative <laughs> for Carlton. Who really knows about them anymore? But they're hosting Geelong at the MCG. Geelong, nowhere near as good in Melbourne. We've seen them get very close to the likes of Hawthorne earlier in the season, and Collingwood, they only got up by less than two goals. Is this Carlton game one in which the Cats are vulnerable, do you think, Tom?
0: No, I think they're (laughs) the biggest tricksters and the teasers in the game's history, Carlton, and definitely not picking them against a top-eight side um, at the moment, so Geelong, Um, and if Carlton win you know then i'll start thinking about it but they haven't proved anything to anyone so definitely not
1: tom i i'm not gonna lie whilst you were talking i was reading through (laughs) the rest of the fixtures and trying to work out where i was going to pick my visionary upset and i don't see any of them (laughs) i fear that i may have a problem i'm starting to think that of the fixtures this might be the one that is most likely and that worries me a little bit that's very worrying (laughs) I'm thinking, if not this one, geez, what else? I'm, oh, I'm unsure, Tom. That's what I tell you. I'm unsure. Nah, I screw it. I can't tip Carlton. I hate Carlton. They're terrible. I'm tipping Geelong, but very close. Fair. I got close. I almost did it. yeah I tipped against Geelong on a few key occasions this season. Yeah, regretfully. Really. Right? So yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Brisbane hosting St Kilda, as we said, at Metricon Stadium. Not oh. a home advantage for Brisbane, but Still. a slightly advantageous one.
0: Yeah, Brisbane easy. St Kilda have been uh, Got too big of an ego over the past couple of weeks with their, with their wins. I think this will uh, show where they're at in a
1: very quality opposition. So yeah, Brisbane. See, this is an interesting one, Tom, because I think this is going to be the one where I plant my flag. And unfortunately, it's for St Kilda, which means it's almost certainly not going to work. But we do know that St Kilda's record with a fully fit Marshall and Ryder this season is, I think, four wins, one loss or something like that. Maybe six wins, two losses, something in that ballpark. Very positive is my point. Um, Going up against Oscar McInerney, who's been in and out of form this season, he's been a bit hot and cold. If Ryder and Marshall get on top, this could be a massive game for the Saints in and around the centre. That could help them get a win. It's not at the Gabo It's going to be at Metricon. Brisbane will be much more unfamiliar with the ground. The Saints were up at Kazale's not that long ago. So I don't know. That's not Metricon, but it's kind of close. <laughs> I'm trying to be hopeful, Tom. I'm trying to be hopeful. Um, the Saints for me, because there's got to be a random upset somewhere. And I'm struggling to work out where it will be. So I think it's that one. On Sunday, the Giants are hosting Gold Coast. Could you pick an upset here, Tom? Out in Ballarat, neither of these teams on a home deck and the Suns for the first time this season looked like a good football team.
0: Yeah. Still GWS. They have to keep winning, keep moving along, trying to get into uh, keep that eighth position. So GWS for me. Um hopefully it's just competitive, but yeah, it uh, should be an easy easy game for them.
1: I have a deep set fear that you're not going to pick any upsets this week. You're just going to back favourites. and I I, I, fear for, I fear for my tipping, Tom. I fear for my tipping. <laughs> the Western Bulldogs are hosting Sydney. I know, this is it. This is the one. You're going to back in your boys to get a crucial win on the way to a top four spot. Aren't you, Tom?
0: Yeah, I'm going to tip Sydney. Um, one upset, and this will be my upset.
1: I was teeing you up at the moment where I was going to be like, Tom, you're definitely going to tip Sydney, right? And you're like, I'm going to tip the Bulldogs. And it was going to be very funny, but no, you're actually going to tip Sydney.
0: Nah, I want them to win. They're going to win. Let's do it. Sydney. Finish. Wow.
1: Massive call. Okay. That's good. That gives us three points of difference and a, and a genuine upset each. This is, this will be good. I'll be tipping the Bulldogs as well. Cause I think at the moment for me right now, they're the best team in the competition. Their foot is the best. So it'll be a great game at Marvel on Sunday. Um should be an epic. All right, the final game for Sunday, not for the round though. Richmond hosting Collingwood at the MCG. Richmond, wow, well, they're playing the worst footy we've seen in five years, and Collingwood, they're playing the worst footy we've seen in three weeks. So it's 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 tough, you know, where this team's at, Tom. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, it's pretty uh, dire, consequent dire situation for the pies. Um. Yeah, I think, I think Richmond will have to bounce back at some point. So, uh, Richmond will win this game.
1: Yeah, Richmond are an interesting one for me because if we follow their downhill slide, they lost to the Saints, then they played Gold Coast, who were worse than the Saints, and lost to them. And so, in theory, Collingwood, <laughs> who's probably a similar level team to Gold Coast, if not slightly better, would be not good enough for Richmond to beat. But... I have to believe, I have to believe that this is their turning point. This is the game where they stamp their foot and say, no more. And if you listen to Jack Rewald's interview on 360 this week, he sounded like they would be coming out with a vengeance this week. So I'll be tipping Richmond as well. And Mm -hmm. our final game of the round, Tom, Monday night football, West Coast hosting North Melbourne. This improved North Melbourne side, there was a lot of talk that Uh, It's just because they've been playing in Tassie. They're no good outside of Tassie. But they were really good, I thought, against the Bulldogs on the weekend. I thought they really pushed them. And if they kicked more accurately, probably could have been a close game. Might have only been a kick or two in it come the end of the the match. So I Um, actually think that since about mid-season, the last six or seven games, North Melbourne has played like a 8-10 to side, 8-12 to side. (laughs) No, I'm not, Tom. (laughs) Okay, West Coast. West Coast for me, just because they're at home, actually. I think settling yeah. back in at home and getting a chance to find some rhythm, maybe they'll show up again. Because as we know, Tom, they are still missing. <laughs> All right, so you're tipping West Coast. I'm tipping West Coast. That wraps us up for this week. Tom, Ash is currently 6-0 up in the second Whoa. set tiebreaker, nice. having won the first set. As soon as I said that, of course, she lost the point. All yeah. right, so maybe... Maybe I'm just going to try and stall this out for another 30 seconds, Tom. You can give us our outro so that I can say that Ash Barty will be playing in a Wimbledon final just before we finish the show.
0: Okay. Um, So, yeah, find us on Facebook, Instagram, um, grab the podcast, Spotify, Amazon, anywhere that you can get your podcasts. That's where we'll be. Um, Yeah, it's been a great week in football. Cannot wait. Has she won the point yet?
1: No. (laughs) She lost the point. All right, it's (laughs) 6-2. I'm going to officially give up one point short of Ashbarty being in a Wimbledon final. Who knows whether she'll win from here. I'm hoping she will. Thanks very much, Tom. (laughs) No worries. (laughs) My name is Alex Henry. I'm Dom Greaser. We'll see you next week. (laughs)